Hello everyone, I'm Christopher Linfont, and welcome to Nest Talk, the most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. We got a lot of things to talk about today, including Baltimore's loss in Carolina, um, whether or not the Ravens are actually pretenders uh, versus contenders, uh, the Ravens made a move before the trade deadline, and three key matchups to watch versus the Steelers this week at home. So obviously, um, the Ravens lost to the Panthers in Carolina in a brutal game that was just uh, completely atrocious to watch for any Ravens fan. Um, the lack of effort was utterly disgusting, and it, it, it was just a complete mess. Um, the Ravens started out well offensively. They got out, uh, went down the field early, got a score on the ground, and things were looking up. You know, we were all confident, thinking that, okay, the Ravens come out, score first, this is going to be a good game. Fast forward a bit. Ravens can't convert on third and one. They give Lamar Jackson the opportunity to run or pass on an RPO, and he chooses to pass to Willie Sneed, who's wide open, and he misses him by about five yards um, short. And Willie Sneed had no way of catching it. It was, you know, not even in the vicinity, but he was wide open. He was probably going to run for 20 yards had he caught it. Um, that doesn't happen. So the Ravens, okay, they want to make sure that they're, you know, they're in the lead at this point. There's about three minutes left in the first quarter. They come out, do a, the fake punt uh, in their own in their own red zone. Um, fake punt works. You know, uh, they get the they get the first down, but then the refs say, hey, wait a minute, there was an illegal shift on the center. I'm sorry, the long snapper, Morgan Cox. Um, I looked back at that play, and I wasn't really able to tell whether or not Morgan Cox did anything wrong. I'm not really sure what the officials were calling there, but they made the call, uh, and it forced the Ravens to punt again. You don't fake punt twice, especially when you now you're in a fourth and six instead of a fourth and one. Um, and the Panthers start around midfield. They go down and score. So it puts the game at 7-7. Ravens get the ball back. Okay, maybe they can get something moving here. Uh, Alex Collins comes out. He gets hit immediately as he's given the ball. Isn't holding the ball properly. The ball goes on the ground, picked up by the Panthers. They're starting in the Ravens' red zone. And then they go out and score uh, immediately. So um, not a great look to start with. They're down 14-7 to at this point. And that's where all... Um, all the wheels start falling off the cart. The Panthers would eventually get to 21 to seven before halftime, extend their lead um, to 27 to seven. Ravens would score a touchdown late in the game in the third quarter, but that would prove futile uh, as the Panthers would end up beating the Ravens 36 to 21. The Ravens' final touchdown came from Lamar Jackson. Uh, his first passing touchdown in his career went to Hayden Hurst. So. Um, what we did see out of Lamar Jackson at the end of the game was encouraging, but again, at that point, the Panthers weren't really, um, trying very hard. They were up by, like, you know, 19, 20 points with three minutes on the clock, so what are they going to, you know, they're not going to risk themselves, um, getting injured at that point, but Lamar Jackson did well given what he was given on the field. Um, so what exactly happened with the Ravens here? They were up, they had the momentum, and it just, it just fell apart. Um, again, the Panthers took advantage of two good field position drives early in the game. That really gave them the momentum and really deflated the Ravens. Um, as far as the defense goes, not being able to stop the Panthers, um, it starts with C.J. Mosley as the middle linebacker, the leader of that defense. Um, he was having a terrible day. It looked like he was bothered by some sort of injury. Maybe it's his knee is still bothering him um, because um, he was very slow was not up to his normal speed, was taking bad angles, was missing um, coverages, was just having a terrible day, um, the All-Pro. Uh, and he was he was held out of practice today on Wednesday, um, so not a good look for him. Um, 
the Ravens defense also struggled to stop um, the pass the passing attack. Um, Cam Newton continually hit DJ Moore and Greg Olson over and over again. Um, Greg Olson often was paired up with Tony Jefferson, who was just being outmatched and bullied by Greg Olson at times. And DJ Moore um, was just getting around the defense. And Jimmy Smith, when he was paired up with anybody, was not looking very good at all. Um, Jimmy Smith blew his coverage quite often, got juked out. It was just not good for Jimmy Smith. And the Ravens have really felt the absence of Marlon Humphrey. Marlon Humphrey sat out with an injury in this game. He sat out in it with an injury against the Saints. Had he been in both, uh, the Ravens might be looking at a different record right now. Maybe five and three, potentially six and two, but Marlon Humphrey out. Um, you know, it, it was not a good, um, it was not a good situation for the Ravens uh, secondary. They were just not able to bottle up um, the Cam Newton throws, and Cam Newton on the ground was doing phenomenally as well. Um, he was able to run all over the uh, Ravens defense on ten attempts. He ran for fifty-two yards. Christian McCaffrey had a good day as well, forty-five yards. Um, not the greatest average averaging on the world in uh, 14 carries but McCaffrey did run um, quite effectively against the Ravens at times kind of got lost behind the offensive line and just hit hit the Jets and went outside and again CJ Mosley oftentimes was not able to catch up to him um, he, he seemed very slow um, on Sunday in the loss and it, it really starts with the defense because you know no matter what the offense gives you You've got to be able to do something, especially when you're the number one ranked uh, defense in the league, and they could not stop Cam Newton at all. But speaking of the offense, um, after that first drive, they just kept continually stalling out. Um, the second drive with the Lamar Jackson missed um, missed pass, um, and then the fake punt failure. Um, you know, it's it's tough to to blame that on the entire offense. I, I'm not sure if I would have even given Lamar Jackson the opportunity to throw that ball. If you want to have him run it, that's okay. But like to give him the opportunity to throw a ball in that critical of a situation when he just is going to miss Willie Sneed wide open, um, I don't think I would have called that if I'm Marty Mornweg. Um, save the passes for more trick plays when you're up 14 points or something like that. But when you're up 7 and you're in your own red zone on your own side of the field, um, it's not a very good idea to give Lamar Jackson the opportunity to throw the ball there because, you know, whether or not he's going to make a good pass, it's unknown. He's he's unproven so far. I re- much, uh, I'm much more comfortable with Joe Flacco throwing the ball than I am um, Lamar Jackson at this point in his career. But the Ravens' offense, uh, they stole out there. Um, Alex Collins' fumble was terrible. Um, the offensive line was not blocking very well throughout the game. Makeshift offensive line, there's injuries along there. Uh, Alex Lewis was again out. James Hurst was out again. Um, that caused problems. Ronis Grassu did not have a very good day at left tackle. He got beat consistently. Jermaine Illuminor at one point had to come in at left tackle because um, Ronnie Stanley got injured on a play that, that really scared me that I thought he may have torn his ACL on because it's kind of the way that Joe Flacco did. Uh, he was standing behind Flacco, and Flacco got torn to the ground, and his helmet went right into the back of Stanley's knee, and Stanley was immediately on the ground uh, and had to be helped off the field, and I feared that he was going to um, be hurt for a while, but it looks like he'll be okay. I think he did return to the game, if my memory serves me right. But the Ravens' offensive line was not really able to stop the Carolina pass rush uh, and, and, the, and the rushing um, the um, run stuffers up front, the big boys, not able to do very well against them. Um, and a lot of weird schemes that Marty Mornoway is, st- is still uh, insisting that the Ravens use. Um, you know, there's plays where the left guard will come out and try to block the guy rushing from the other side, of, from the right side of the offensive line. And it's, you know, I'm not really sure exactly what's going on with the run run uh, scheme and why 
the running backs are failing, but I do know that the, the offensive line is not doing very well blocking. Um, so it, it was not a very good game for them in that department. Um, they struggled all year with run blocking. Um, Flacco throws two interceptions on the game. Um, it's really difficult to say that they're completely his fault. I know that both throws were kind of stupid. Well, more than stupid, but when you're down a lot and nothing's going for you, you're going to start to try to throw, throw some balls into some areas where maybe someone's going to get you. Um, the first interception was kind of weird just watching it live. It looked like Flacco was just throwing it to the Panthers receiver, but on the replay you can kind of see uh, from the coach's film, it looks like Willie Snead was coming over the middle of the field going to, towards the area where Flacco was throwing, but um, as Flacco starts throwing the ball, he's knocked to the ground. So I'm not exactly sure if Flacco was going for Snead, but it's entirely possible he thought that Snead would be there to catch the ball because the Panthers' um, cornerback, I forget who was the one that caught it, but he had to dive down for it, so it was a little low if he was if Flacco really thought the Panthers' uh, cornerback was his guy. So I think the explanation there may have been he saw Willie Snead coming over the middle, and then Willie Snead was hit to the ground. Um, I don't know why the refs didn't call that as pass interference, especially because they called Willie Snead for two pass interference uh, penalties on that exact drive, which is what led Flacco to kind of keep the play alive as he was being chased out of bounds. Um, you know, he was growing desperate there. But Willie Snead, uh, the first one probably more of a chance of being a pass interference. He kind of spun off a guy and may have extended the arm. It was kind of unclear, but it didn't really look like it had an effect on the the cornerback. He didn't fall over. He didn't get pushed. Um, But then the other one was just another simple route, and I didn't see any sort of way that Willie Snead could have caused pass interference, but the refs called it. So uh, you you get what you're given. So, um, I mean, it wasn't the greatest officiating that I think I've ever seen from the refs, but probably not the worst. Um, and the second interception Flacco had, he was trying to force it to Willie Sneed, and that was just a terrible throw. Um, Willie Sneed was blanket covered by Captain Munnerlyn. Uh, the two had been going at it all day, and um, Munnerlyn just picked the ball off pretty easily for the Panthers on that one. Um, really, really strange play by Flacco, but again, when you're down by quite a bit and you're in the later part of the game at that point, you're going to start to try to throw some balls that maybe your receivers can come down with um, by pure athleticism. You saw Flacco do that against the Bengals when they were down against the Bengals and they almost came back. Um, John Brown caught a ball between two or three receivers. I'm sorry, two two or three defenders. Um, that really should have been picked off, but, but John Brown's athleticism and his focus was able to get that ball before anybody else could. So maybe Flacco was kind of thinking the same thing there. Like, you know, we're down a lot. Let's just see what he can do. Try to try to you know, jumpstart something, because if we don't, we're just going to give the ball back to them anyway. Um, yes, that's really, I think, what happened there. Um, you know, the Ravens, they just did not look very good. There were also some other drops on offense. John Brown dropped a couple balls, one near the sideline that, you know, would have set the Ravens up in field goal range, um, you know, and potentially, of course, a touchdown, too. Um, Willie Sneed had some drops. I don't remember if Crabtree had some had any drops. Um, but it, it was it was a very strange game for the Ravens. Um, just really weird coming out of the Saints game where they're so close to beating one of the better teams in the league, and then they completely get walloped by the uh, Panthers. But you know, after the long you know mostly home uh, mostly away game stretch, uh, the Ravens will get to go home and play the Pittsburgh Steelers this week. Um, so we'll have to uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. I have my three keys to the game, but we'll talk about that in the later latter half of this podcast. Okay. 
So uh, the question that the uh, the question that everybody's asking now are are the Ravens contenders or pretenders? They start out three and one, um, with wins against you know the Bills, very easy win there, the Broncos, and then they go to Pittsburgh and beat the Steelers at Heinz Field. Then they fall to the Browns the can, next week, um, beat Tennessee, but then they fall to the Saints on a fluke play, uh, the point after missed by Tucker, and then they fall down to the Panthers uh, in a completely embarrassing loss. Um, you know, the Ravens, in all honesty, the talent they have and, and, and the way they were playing, they should have beat the Browns. They they had an opportunity to beat um, the Saints and blew it, and then they should not have gotten blown out. So this team should really, if had everything gone right for them, be 6-2, and two, if everything was the way it should be. But they're not. They're 4-4. Four and four. Um, It's not exactly the greatest situation for the Ravens, John Harbaugh, kind of on the hot seat this season. I'm really not sure. Even if he didn't make the playoffs, I'm not entirely sure that Biscotti would fire him. Um, but there's always that chance, especially with coming, you know, coming off of three years not going to the playoffs. Um, but we'll have to wait and see, you know, how the season plays out. Um, I I think the Ravens looked a lot like pretenders last Sunday against the Panthers. Um, in my reaction, I called them pretenders. And I think if they continue to play this way, you know, where they can't win the big games and they are for certain pretenders and they won't make the playoffs, but if they can win the games they need to and beat the good teams, then they'll make the, then they'll make the playoffs and be actual contenders for the Super Bowl at that point, um, single-handedly saving John Harbaugh and probably Joe Flacco's job in Baltimore for next year. I think that if they do go to the playoffs, Joe Flacco will be the quarterback for this year and next year. Uh, I don't see them making the switch to Lamar if, if they really think that Joe is going to, you know, if Joe's not slowing down. Um, and is picking up the pace, quite frankly, um, as he's done for the most part this season. Um, the game, the games against the Bengals, or the first half against the Bengals, uh, and the game in in Cleveland, and you know this game kind of too. Although he didn't really play that bad, minus the two interceptions, uh, had a lot of drops. You know, really out outliers for what I've seen from him for the rest of the season. So you know, um, but but to get back on topic here, um, the Ravens. You know, they have to win the games they need to. They have to beat the good opponents. They're going to have a good opportunity against the, the Steelers this week. Then they have a bye week, and then they play the Cincinnati Bengals at home. Uh, you win those two games, you're back in the contender column. But right now, you're a pretender. Um, and really, um, they're pretenders because the number one defense got smoked. Uh, and a number 10, I'm sorry, top 10 offense got stalled out. You know, a team that is number one in the league in defense should not be giving up 36 points to the Panthers. The Panthers offense is decent, but it's not the, you know, it's not the Saints. You hold the Saints to 24 points, but you can't hold the 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 Panthers to that number. The Panthers offense is not as good as the Saints. Um you you look at the the top 10 offenses the Ravens supposedly have and they they just flat out couldn't do anything against the Panthers for the majority of the game. For the, you know, two touchdown drives, nothing else. I'm sorry, three touchdown drives if you include Lamar Jackson's touchdown. But nothing really happened. Nothing was was coming out of their efforts, and it was really um, disappointing fixture that the, of the uh, of the game that the Ravens' offense couldn't even, you know, keep this game close in a shootout, perhaps. Um, yeah, so they're gonna have to win the next two games, um, essentially against, as I said, the Steelers. Then they have the bye week. Then they have the Bengals. If they don't win the next two games, if they lose both the games, um, then the season's over. I could see them winning one and still having the season alive, but it's going to be difficult. If they can win both, 
then they're not only in play for the playoffs as a wild card, but still in play of the division. And they might even be able to take first place in the division, depending on how the Steelers and Bengals fare, um, minus their their Ravens games. So, Ravens already beat the Steelers once this uh, this season in Heinz Field. You know, traveling on the road in the AFC North is difficult. I would think the Ravens would have an upper edge here, but we'll have to see how it plays out. Okay, so the Ravens in response to the Panthers' debacle and and really um, the destruction of the run game and the complete failure of it to really produce anything major for the Ravens um, saw a need and and went out to fix that need before the trade deadline. So with a couple hours left um, in the the trade window, uh, Ozzie Newsom made a splash. He picked up Ty Montgomery from the um, the Green Bay Packers for a 2020, not even this this upcoming year, a 2020 seventh round pick. So basically got him for for a bag of chips, right? Um, this was a really simple trade. I didn't think the Ravens would make a move, um, but they did. Um, you know, a lot of people thought that they would try to go for Shady McCoy. There were reports that the Ravens did um, inquire about Shady McCoy, but I think Ty Montgomery is actually a better. Um, fit for the Ravens because they still have what they want in Alex Collins. I think still think Alex Collins is going to be the lead back, but um, Ty Montgomery is going to be a good third down guy. And and don't get me wrong, Buck Allen is a good third down guy. But what Ty Montgomery brings to the table is he used to be a receiver. He's a very versatile player. You can put him anywhere on the offense essentially, and just have him be some sort of utility. He can block. He can run. He can catch. Um, and he can and he can go. He can like once he hits the Jets, he's fast. Um. Uh, recruited by Jim Harbaugh at Stanford, got that Harbaugh connection there. Um, really, really good player, I think. He did have that one fumble um, on a weird play where he kind of, you know, said, no, I'm going to take it out of the uh, end zone even though I'm supposed to kneel this down. Uh, gave up the, the game for the Packers, but I don't think he'll be taking any kicks. I think Chris Moore and Cyrus Jones will be responsible for punt, uh, for kicks and punts respectively. Um but Ty Montgomery's going to add a lot to this offense. I think he provides a, a new dimension. Um, when he's in, you know, he's not like like Buck Allen. 80% of the chance, is an 80% chance he's going to be t- taking the ball. Um, if he's getting the ball, it's going to be through a reception. You put Alex Collins on the field, if he's getting the ball, it's going to be through a run. But if you put Ty Montgomery on the field, the defense is going to be like, well, he can... He can he can run it. He can he can uh, he can catch it, and then you could put him in the, in the as a receiver too. And then like, well, now we have to watch a jet sweep because you never know what they're going to do if you use him in a jet sweep and you continually put him in slot receiver. Then it's just opening a whole Pandora's box on the defense. Will be interesting to see how he pairs with Lamar Jackson. I think in the Mar- Lamar Jackson packages, you put him in the backfield as opposed to you know Alex Collins or Buck Allen now things get weird, right? Now you can give it to him or you can do a weird pass play and, you know, you're adding some trickery. And I think the Ravens, they're going to do everything in their power to, to just keep winning at this point because, you know, this is a cru- crucial year for John Harbaugh, for Joe Flacco, for the entire organization as a whole. They just want to win and win and win and win. I think Montgomery is going to provide them a really excellent um, addition to the team and really give them some interesting plays on offense. Do I think he's going to overhaul the entire running game and save it from from being terrible? Um, probably not. I think he'll just be, you know, an average running back. He does average 4.8 yards a carry, though, in his career. So it will be interesting to see how much touches the Ravens give him. Um, he may play this week against the Steelers. The Ravens may feel that, you know, he's not ready to play against the Steelers. He's not really equated into our playbook yet, and that'll be okay. But, um, 
you know, if he does play, it'll be very interesting to see how they use him. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how they use him. I wouldn't really think that the Ravens, sh- you know, I didn't even know Ty Montgomery was on, um, was on the trade block for the Packers. Um, but if I had known, then I would have kind of said, oh, wait, maybe we should pick up Ty Montgomery. He's an interesting player. He's fast. He's He's got, you know, ball skills. He can he can uh, run the ball. He can catch the ball. He'll be interesting to play with uh, as, a, as a third down back, as a compliment. You could put him in there with Buck Allen. Now you're, you know, doing all these misdirection plays. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how he, he, uh, he helps this offense, especially in a year where you're just going to do anything you can to win. Trick plays, uh, misdirection plays. Or just, you know, go ground and pound. Whatever you want. I think Ty Montgomery will help you um, help you help this offense um, to kind of revive itself. Okay. Um, so, that's all the news, basically. Uh, Ravens injury report. We've got a few guys out today. Um, Marlon Humphrey, who the Ravens really need to see back um, as soon as possible because... The, the the secondary without him has just not been very good at all. Has been failing to stop anybody, really. Um, he was out today. Alex Lewis and James Hurst also out of the field today. Ronnie Stanley sat out the field. Bradley Bozeman sat out from practice. You know, that's four offensive linemen that, that are key. Hurst, Lewis, and Stanley, all starters. Bozeman was the guy who was, you know, oh, this is going to be our, our backup. He's actually a solid backup. I liked what I saw out of him in the Saints game until he got injured. Um, the, the Ravens really can't afford to see a whole bunch of uh, injured players um, start taking away from from the uh, from the Ravens' effort to win these these games, especially this critical stretch of two games in the next three weeks. Tim Williams also sat out with a foot and ankle injury. He's looked uh, much better this year as a pass rusher. C.J. Mosley sat out today's game, assuming he is um, feeling whatever he felt on Sunday. Still, uh, Brandon Carr also sat out today. Um, but that was, I I think, just a Veterans Day off, it sounded like. Although they do say that he may have a knee injury. And uh, Tony Jefferson sat out today as well. Um, the Ravens need to be healthy by Sunday. Um, they need this win more than anything at this point. They need to be healthy to do it. And the Steelers are on the upswing, so they really need to get everybody back, especially Marlon Humphrey. You can't have Tony Jefferson sitting out. You can't have C.J. Mosley, Brandon Carr sitting out. And you especially can't have... Uh, four offensive linemen sitting out, three of them starters of a five-man offensive line. That would just be a really bad situation for the Ravens' offense, and they're going to have to do something uh, really drastic to save themselves if those players can't play. Okay, so after all the news, um, that's about it so far. No more trades are coming. The trade deadline has already passed. Um, So I want to talk about the upcoming Steelers game. As I said, this is probably the most crucial game that the Ravens will face this year. The Ravens need a win here to to really you know boost themselves back up to a uh, winning record to give themselves some momentum heading into the bye week. So then they can game plan for the for the Bengals for two weeks and then hopefully beat them at home at MNT Bank Stadium on uh, November 18th. So this game this Sunday 4 p uh, sorry 1 p.m. Uh, November 4th. The Ravens have three matchups that they have to win in order to beat the Steelers. So, um, really, the first is Jimmy Smith versus Antonio Brown. I'm assuming that Jimmy Smith is going to be paired with Antonio Brown. Um, if Marlon Humphrey's back, they might put Marlon Humphrey on Antonio Brown. Personally, that's probably what I would do at this point because Jimmy Smith has not looked good at all, and Antonio Brown is a complete weapon for the Steelers. you got to bottle him up. Um, he did well against him in the, in the um, Week 4 game. 
uh, or you could put Brandon Carr. But I think if Jimmy Smith is against Antonio Brown, Jimmy Smith's going to have to to beat Antonio Brown out here. He's got to hold him down. He's got to lock him down, and he's got to be ready to to take any sort of passes uh, and pick them off because the Ravens have not had a lot of turnovers on defense this year. Um, Antonio Brown will get a lot of targets from from Big Ben, um, and Jimmy Smith is just going to have to cover him as well as he can. You're never going to take Antonio Brown completely out of the game. He had minimal impact week four, but he still managed to score a touchdown and have some really big plays on the Ravens. It's going to be very tough, but Jimmy Smith is going to have to come through and, and really not dominate Antonio Brown, but but be the bigger of the two and be the one making more plays than Antonio Brown. If he can do that, the Ravens will be in a very good position on defense, um, you know, continuing down the line um, in this game, which is, you know, it's going to be difficult because the Ravens-Steelers is always going to be a close matchup. It's always going to be hard-nosed football. Jimmy Smith's going to have to do the best he can. Big Ben versus Terrell Suggs. Uh, long-time rivals, these two, always joking around about each other, but but in all seriousness, this this matchup might determine the uh, the way the defense performs. As much as Antonio Brown is a factor, Big Ben is a much bigger factor for the Steelers. Um, Terrell Suggs is probably the one who's going to be able to put the most pressure on, on Big Ben, and the Ravens have struggled to get some sacks in the past two games. Um, you want to make Big Ben uncomfortable, that's when you can really get, get to him and, and basically make him throw some bad plays. Uh, he's got a broken thumb or finger right now on his left hand. That's really not going to matter a whole whole much. Uh, he throws with his right hand. But if Terrell Suggs can come in there and antagonize him and hit him a few times, even if it's not for sacks, if, just, if it's just a quarterback hit, just bring him to the ground a few times. Make him feel his presence. Then Big Ben's going to th- keep thinking about Terrell Suggs coming off the edge and getting him. Um, it's crucial for the Ravens to put pressure on Big Ben. If he has the time, he's going to find somebody, either Juju Smith-Schuster, James Conner, um, or Antonio Brown. And this is going to be a problem because if, if Big Ben can continually find somebody um, down the field, no matter how you know, no matter how long it takes, he'll find somebody if there's no pressure coming to him. The Ravens need to apply pressure, get him to speed up, get him to make some errand throws, and get some turnovers um, through that way. Get some sacks on him too. Hopefully we'll see a Tennessee-like performance, putting up 11 sacks on him, but I kind of doubt that. Uh, if the Ravens can get three or four sacks on Big Ben, though, it'll be a big day for the uh, pass-rushing core. Finally, uh, this is more of an unconventional matchup, but Marty Mornweg versus uh, Steelers defensive coordinator Keith Butler. It's going to be a chess match between these two guys. Um, the Ravens have had some struggles on the offensive in the offensive department. Um, at certain times this season against the Browns, they really struggled throughout the game, kept stalling out of midfield. Panthers, same thing. They stalled out of midfield quite often. Um, at the Saints, they only put up 23 points. Of course, that Justin Tucker kick would have been 24 points, but still, you know, if you put up a few more points against the Saints, you're the winners. Um, they kind of stalled out in the second half of that game until the very, very um, last drive. But Marty Mornweg, he's going to have to score consistently on the Steelers. This could end up being a shootout if uh, the Ravens' defense doesn't take care of business. And he's going to have to deal with Keith Butler, who's going to send him a lot of strange things. Um, the Steelers' defense isn't the best in the world, but not the worst in the world. They're going to you know, send some blitzes, try to get Joe Flacco uncomfortable, you know, try to force him to throw some passes like he did last week in Tennessee. They're going to try to bottle up Alex Collins, and if they can get to him early, they're going to try to force some fumbles. 
Uh, Marty Warren Wake's going to have to make sure that Alex Collins has the run protection he needs, and Joe Flacco has the pass protection he needs. He's going to have to have good matchups. He's got to have Crabtree, John Brown, and Willie Snead all get open consistently. He's going to have to find a use for Hayden Hurst that actually is going to work for once. He'll have to get Mark Andrews in optimal situations. He'll have to use Nick Boyle in ways he can. And if Ty Montgomery plays, he's going to have to use Montgomery in some some interesting plays, misdirection, get the Steelers, you know, uncomfortable, turn the tables on them so it's not the defense dictating to the offense, but the offense dictating to the defense what's going on. If the defense is dazed and confused, the offense will continue to score and drive the ball down the field, waste a lot of clock, win the game. It's going to be very, very critical that Marty Mornway can outplay uh, Keith Butler in this um, coach's game of chess between you know the Ravens offensive coordinator and the Steelers defensive coordinator. If the Ravens can pull off all three of these key matchups, win them all, Jimmy Smith versus Antonio Brown. If Jimmy Smith can hold him, hold Antonio Brown down for most of the game, maybe allow a few good plays here and there, but for the, mo- for the most part, hold him down. If Big Ben can hit, get hit by Terrell Suggs often and, and get some set and Suggs get maybe a sack or two on, on Big Ben along with the rest of the pass rushing core getting in there, pressuring Big Ben, hurrying him up, making him throw... Uh, sooner than he wants to. And if Marty Mornway can outplay the, the uh, Steelers defensive coordinator Keith Butler, um, you know, call plays he's not expecting, make his defense um, uncomfortable and make them confused, then I think the Ravens will easily win this game against Pittsburgh. Do I think they're going to win all three of these matchups? Uh, probably not. I think they'll, if they, you know, they're more likely to win two than three. Um, it's bound to be a close one. I don't think the Steelers are going to come in here and just give themselves up to the Ravens, but I think the Ravens are going to give a really good effort um, and, and try to pull off this win. Uh, I'll give my official prediction, of course, this Sunday on Preview and Predictions on BaltimoreFeather.com. That's where you can find all the articles and information about the podcast. Uh, and um, if you want to follow Nest Talk on Twitter, you can hit us up at Nest Talk, or you can find us on Facebook. You can find the Baltimore Feather on Facebook as well, or follow it on Twitter at Be More Feather. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Linfont. That's all I have for today. Um, really hoping the Ravens can pull out a victory on Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers or really um, go far for Baltimore and help them overcome the uh, the adversity that they're facing right now. 4-4, four and four, an average team, but if they can pull off a win against Pittsburgh and sweep them this year, that'll give them some momentum heading into the bye, potentially give them enough momentum to beat the, the Cincinnati Bengals, and they're looking at a more favorable um, schedule after that. They still do have to face... The Chiefs and Chargers, but they also face the Browns, um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, the Atlanta Falcons, who are not doing so well, and um, the Oakland Raiders, who are essentially in rebuilding mode. They're just going to tank for the rest of the season with John Gruden at head coach. He's just trading everybody away at this point. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm Chris Linfont signing out. Have a great day, everybody.